that certainly the the yen is lower and, and this is going to be a positive factor for tourism. But I think that, you know, we must remember that China still has a zero uh, COVID policy in place. And mm. until China really opens up, we would you know, not see the full effect of, of tourism gains. Um, also, the, the, the gains from tourism would take some time to materialize. And I think that, you know, even if we return to a level of tourism revenue that was seen pre-pandemic, um, this would only have um, maybe 5% impact on the, the level of, of the exchange rate. So I think, you know, mm. a lot of it will be down to uh, other parts of the export uh, sector to, um, to really uh, drive the economic growth going forward. And of course, okay. that is detrimentally affected by the external weak demand that we see at the moment. Thanks very much, John. We've run out of time. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan right now, not a lot of movement in stocks. The Nikkei 225 is up 0.1%. The SX200 in uh, Australia is flat. The Cosby up around about 1%. Looks like a gain of about 30 points for the Hang Seng at the Open. Thank you for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for some more Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, strong northerly winds, gale force um, at times. Temperature's going to be around 24 degrees. Those winds um, are going to linger into tomorrow um, as well, and it will be cooler. Um, there is a strong wind signal number three in force right now and a red fire danger warning. It's 23 degrees, 49% relative humidity. <laughs> Rate 32. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. Ukraine's Prime Minister says energy infrastructure has borne the brunt of the latest wave of Russian missile and drone attacks. Denis Shmahal said seven of the ten regions hit had been suffering power cuts, affecting hundreds of towns. Some water supplies had been restored to the capital, Kiev, after power supplies were cut to pumping stations. But the mayor, Vitaly Klitschko, says about 40% of households remain without water. The Russian aggressors want to make the people without heating, without water, without electricity. In the winter, they want to freeze the whole population in our hometown. It's, it's genocide. Norway is putting its military on high alert in response to the war in Ukraine. This follows several spy scandals and the sabotage of the Nord Stream gas pipeline. The BBC's Sasha Slichter has more. With Europe cutting its dependency on Russian natural gas, Norway has emerged as its biggest supplier and a country of strategic significance. Norway has always kept a wary eye on its giant Russian neighbour. Today, the Prime Minister said the increased tensions made Norway more exposed to threats, intelligence operations and influence campaigns. He described the security situation as the most severe in decades. Norway's Chief of Defence said its new fleet of US-made submarine hunting patrol aircraft would be deployed at a faster pace than originally planned. U.S. federal authorities have charged a 42-year-old California man with attempting to kidnap the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. David DePape broke into her San Francisco home last week and attacked her husband, Paul Pelosi, with a hammer. From Los Angeles, here's the BBC's Sophie Long. Federal prosecutors have charged the man accused of breaking into the Pelosi's home and battering Paul Pelosi with a hammer with attempting to kidnap Nancy Pelosi and assaulting the relative of a federal official. The authorities say when the suspect broke into the couple's home, he shouted, where is Nancy, and was carrying a rope, a second hammer and zip ties. 
Such charges are normally dealt with by local authorities. Assault becomes a federal crime when there is intent to intimidate or interfere with the work of a federal official. David Dupape also faces a list of state charges, including attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. Back locally and the observatory says it expects the strong wind signal number three to stay in force until noon. It issued the signal a severe tropical storm Nalgay edged closer to Hong Kong yesterday. Kindergartens and classes for children with disabilities have been suspended. Finally, Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has yet to accept defeat in Sunday's presidential election. Several of his political allies have acknowledged the victory of the left-wing challenger, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Mr Bolsonaro's silence has fueled concerns that he may contest the outcome. The electoral authorities have confirmed that Lula won by some two million votes. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, which begins uh, later today. The three-day gathering is bringing together about 200 global financial leaders from more than 100 institutions, including major banks, private equity and venture capital firms. The organiser, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, says the summit is a sign to the rest of the world that Hong Kong is reconnecting and reopening. After 9.15, we'll look at crowd control management following the tragic events in the Itaewon area of Seoul in South Korea on Saturday. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 and for the first part of our programme today uh, in our Admiralty studio is uh, Inyake Amate, who's the chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce. Uh, also on the line we have with us uh, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Um, Mr Amate, perhaps we can start with you. Good morning. Good morning. So we've got the, uh, the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit. We've got uh, FinTech Week going on, the Rugby Sevens uh, this weekend. Uh, is Hong Kong back? It's trying, definitely. This is a big bang for Hong Kong. It's a good signal to the rest of the world that uh, we want to, things to resume. Um, but yes, there's still some work that needs to be done in order to be convincing enough abroad that Hong Kong is back what we, what we, we used to be uh, before COVID, right? A lot of big names attending the financial summit this week. What kind of signal does that give to the rest of the world? I think there is a strong support from these big institutions and its leaders that Hong Kong remains one of the most important financial centers in the world. And the fact that they are willing to come at a time that Hong Kong is starting to open is also very reassuring. I think that message is going to create ripples. And I think that the Hong Kong government is also signaling that they have some sort of a, ma a roadmap for opening Hong Kong. What remains a bit of a question is what is the timeline of that roadmap? How, how soon we think, or how soon we will see some of the measures to be released and, or relaxed? And then with that in mind, I think with the rest of the world will probably follow.
Because you've said before that we need a roadmap, you said on this programme, but uh, we haven't actually seen one yet. But, uh, I mean, it does seem that uh, 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 gradually everything's uh, opening up. I mean, we're going in the right direction, yeah? We think so. I mean, definitely the latest movements uh, opening gradually some of the different um, measures indicates that the government is aligned with what uh, we've been telling, which is that we need to open Hong Kong for good. Um, we would like to see probably uh, some of these measures being taken a bit faster uh, because every day, every week, every month that passes by that we don't see some of the measures completely relaxed. It means some, that some companies, some organizations, and some sectors are still suffering. Some organizations probably will not be able to, to last uh, more than a few weeks or months from what we have heard from our members, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, anything that can be done in order to accelerate will improve the situation of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Right. So what are the sort of measures, Mr. Marte, that uh, you would like to see lifted um, as soon as possible? So, number one, we would like to see that when, it ca when people come into Hong Kong, there wouldn't be any of the current restrictions that today we have for people that they need to do the zero plus three, so that they need to still go to, they need to still uh, withhold from going to restaurants and, and other venues that, uh, in our view, is putting off some of the businessmen that want, or business people that want to come and visit Hong Kong. The second one, is that uh, in order to attract talent, we need to remove some of the measures like uh, you know, still wearing a mask uh, in most of the activities or most of the environments in Hong Kong. The rest of the world has moved on from that. And it might sound like something that is almost like cosmetic today, but the reality is that the, the rest of the world has uh, definitely moved on, has definitely learned its lessons. And when you are trying to attract people from abroad, they're still comparing how, how is the sense of freedom in wherever they plan to, to move, and then, of course, Hong Kong. And I think that that uh, affects and impacts quite a lot the image that Hong Kong still has abroad, and that's an image that we need to de definitely change. Okay. Uh, also with us, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Mark Michelson will we'll say hello to Mark in a moment, but also joining us uh, on the line is James Turner, a Vice Chairman of the British Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Uh, good morning to you. So uh, a summit of this capacity uh, with these uh, various uh, global financial leaders all gathered here in Hong Kong, uh, what, uh, what, what does that do for Hong Kong's image on the international stage after uh, the, well, really the past three years of, uh, of sort of semi-isolation that we've been enduring? I think it really shows that uh, Hong Kong's back, that as ever Hong Kong is resilient. One of the things that I, I'm really impressed uh, by is the fact that um, it's not just a financial centre, but it is also a cultural centre. So I thought it was interesting that the, uh, the opening session is being held at M+. Plus. Plus, mm. And clearly with, um, with the Palace Museum opening recently as well, I think it's really important when we're t talking about attracting talent that it's not just the uh, great financial benefits that the Super Connector of Hong Kong has, but it's also the cultural uh, attractiveness of, of Hong Kong. So you, do you think we are well-placed uh, to you know, uh, get back to where we were uh, before the pandemic and uh, we're able to do that quickly? Look, I think that Hong Kong has shown many times that it's, it's sheer resilience and the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of the people. Here. So I, I am incredibly confident and I know our, our members are, are confident in the long-term 
future of Hong Kong. I think as the previous speaker said, you know, we're also looking for, and the Chamber's members are looking for further uh, relaxation. We've seen some excellent progress in terms of, of, um, of what the, um, the current government have done in terms of uh, relaxing measures, but uh, we're also uh, looking for that roadmap to uh, zero plus zero. So many international companies have found Singapore to be more attractive um, well, in the last couple of years, and they have moved their regional offices to Singapore. Um, do you think that um, now Hong Kong is more open, that you know, Hong Kong's advantages are now more obvious to, to companies? You know, you know, what are the factors that would, um, that would impact their choice? I think there's a, there's a few things. I think the long-term um, future of, of Hong Kong is secure in the sense of its role as a super connector, both um, for ASEAN and for the, for the mainland China. So I think the long-term, and I think, unfortunately, the, the rest I see is relatively short-term, but long-term, I think that those advantages remain, uh, remain solid. I think in terms of, of, of Hong Kong, Singapore, I don't think it's a question of, of, of either. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's where, you, where you want to be based. And if you want to be a, a super connector, then being in, in Hong Kong is clearly, uh, clearly the first choice. But it, we need to reach out. I think the important thing is that the government has started that process, but there needs to be a reach out to um, re-emphasize the, the values and opportunities that Hong Kong has to offer. Okay, uh, Mark Michelson, good morning to you. Good morning. How, how are you feeling this week with uh, all, a lot of major events taking place, uh, the Financial Leaders Summit, FinTech Week, Rugby Sevens to look forward to? What, 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 what's your mood like? Well, it's a breath of fresh air, but at the same time, you know, it has to be we have to go further, as, as the other, other two uh, other two panelists have said. Uh, you know, Hong Kong. It's the, we're trying to send the signal: Hong Kong is open for business again, not just in the financial area, but as mentioned in cultural or in, in other ways. And it is to some extent, but not quite, as 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 has been as has been pointed out. Our, uh we still have COVID restrictions and that uncertainty? And we talked about a roadmap. Well, we really don't know what that roadmap is at this point. And that's sort of key because our relationship, our, one of our strengths, of course, is our connection with, with mainland China. And that is not open. And it's, it's not very clear when that will happen or how that will happen. And of course, the recent decision not to allow Hong Kong to be a, a, a quarantine uh, spot for people going back to China sort of underlines the, the issues that we still have to face. And that sends that doesn't send great signals. So this will help balance part of it, but we have to continue to do that and have to move forward. And part of that also is it was mentioned about some of the new measures the government is is trying to put out and trying to attract companies, attract talent, and and, and other other uh, important things to Hong Kong. That that should be done certainly, but we have to make it easier to uh, to have that happen. The government has to work much more closely together. It has to be more joined up than it has been in the past. That's one of the advantages that Singapore has over us, despite its location not being nearly as favorable as Hong Kong in many ways, especially toward China. It certainly has, been, has gotten its people together, it's hired some very experienced and knowledgeable people to help bring and make some of these companies who have left Hong Kong or have moved some of their people to Hong Kong feel more comfortable doing that. 
Well, well I guess, um, uh, Mark, the, um, the important thing is to get the people back. Right. Uh, I think a lot of the, uh, the senior, um, uh, senior management uh, decided to move to Singapore uh, because they don't, you know, want Hong uh, they don't want to stay in Hong Kong. You know, the um, probably the schools, uh, you know, are still um, are still being half locked down. Um, you know, two years ago. Uh, so, what, what sort of things should Hong Kong do that we are not already doing? Well, I I think we 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 have to again. Uh, part of it is part of the COVID situation, but also make people feel more comfortable about what some of the uh, what some of the issues they were concerned about in Hong Kong. And one of those areas is education, obviously, especially those that have school-aged children. And it's not just the senior management, of course. It's Hong Kongers who are, who are staff, who, some of whom, those that can, uh, some of them have moved elsewhere to the U.K. in particular uh, as, as um, opportunities uh, presented themselves. That may be temporary. Or it, um, or it may not be, but Hong Kong has to make make itself a little bit more attractive and also set signals about the one country, two systems. One country, two systems, very important. Xi Jinping has made that clear. So is so of Hong Kong leaders, but uh, but I, but companies and especially their staff, other individuals have to feel comfortable with that as well because the world is sort of sort of in in disarray at the moment with geopolitical tensions um, with COVID with. Uh, supply chain with everything else going on, it makes it very difficult. They need some uh, some reassurance of of stability and 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 also uh, com- comfort and uh, willingness to live in, and work in Hong Kong again. Mm. Um, Inyake Amate, I mean that point that Mark Michelson makes about uh, uh, Hong Kong's role as a gateway to China or a super connector, if you like. That is uh, somewhat limited at the moment when uh, when the mainland is uh, closed to the outside, isn't it? Um, um, wh- how are you expecting things to develop there? It is a problem. It is a limitation. <clears throat> at the same time, it's an opportunity, right? Uh, Hong Kong uh, is the best place in the, wo- in the world today to understand and know how to do business in China. So even if it's closed, uh, a lot of businesses, people here in Hong Kong have made their fortunes and living by making business through the border with China. So we think that, I mean, over the next, whatever, six, nine months, 12 months, whatever it takes for Hong, for China to open properly, Hong Kong has that opportunity to, to be that gateway that allows those businesses that they still need to do business in China to, to come and, and start doing that from Hong Kong. Uh, uh, James Turner, uh, is, is there a lot that um, you know that uh, Hong Kong-based or, or foreign-based uh, companies uh, can do uh, working through Hong Kong in terms of doing uh, business with China at the moment? So, so clearly, the, uh, whilst the, um, the the border remains closed, this this limit this um, limit short term. But really, if you look to the long term, you've really got the whole GBA sector developments and and the role that Hong Kong can have as well in terms of climate change and in terms of um, the transition to a low-carbon economy. So if we look to the future, not only do we see Hong Kong's role as a super connector, but it's really this, this real focus on the GBA and the great potential for the whole of, of, of GBA for businesses that are based in Hong Kong. Right. Do, do you see your members um, sort of coming back or are they still contemplating a move? 
so so I, I, I see it sometimes like a and just coming back to one of the earlier questions like a more like a tide rather than an, an away so things come out and then they come back and so I think there's a natural tendency to migrate to the place where it's easier to do business and as uh, Hong Kong opens up and it becomes even easier to do business again I do anticipate um, more more members returning but uh, but we've seen resilience we haven't seen uh, a drop off a significant drop off in membership and and whilst I don't um, I, I'm not going to uh, challenge the comments that have already been made on the panel um, the, I, I really do really want to focus on the future and, and looking forwards um, that resilience and those unique opportunities that Hong Kong has are attractive to business mm. and uh, our members yeah of, co of course uh, the GBA with uh, 11 urban centres a population of uh, more than 80 million people um, a, a lot has been talked about um, uh, Hong Kong's position as like a, a hub for family offices uh, serving the uh, GBA. Uh, would anybody like to uh, comment about that, about the, the family office situation? Um, 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 M Mark, is this an area that you've looked into? Hello? A special sector team that deals with family offices mm -hmm. now and GBA is one of those areas. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities and I think the GBA is is very much Hong Kong's future. Uh, the issue is, is that we've been away from it. We've been separated for sort of for for two and a half years or or more now. And the longer we are, uh, things fill fill the vacuum, and that's what we really have to have to focus on. The opportunities certainly are there, but we probably have to be more proactive and and aggressive in in taking advantage of those opportunities, both companies and and, and the government. I think they understand that. But uh, it would help if uh, some of those restrictions are, are eased as well. But I will say one other thing is that a lot of companies, a lot of the companies in, in our group have, uh, have changed the way they operate in, uh, in China now. Although they haven't been able to visit China in many cases, they found that they, they don't have to be there every, every month, for example. They found, they found staff and others could take over part of those responsibilities and, and readjusted the way they worked. And some of those readjustments are going to continue. Uh, of course, they'd like to visit, and, and sometimes that person-to-person -person contact is really important. But at the same time, they found ways to uh, be successful still in China without uh, having, having to be there personally as much as they had been in the past. And, and with technology... So one other yeah. thing that I would is just add to yes. that is, is yeah, the schemes. So I think we have seen um, a way of, of connecting Hong Kong with, uh, with the mainland through things like Stock Connect, through Wealth Connect. Um, that, that I, we know that Insure Connect is coming, so, uh, and a Bond Connect. So there are these schemes that are starting to, um, to enable those connections to occur, as I said, in a slightly different way to, to how they were uh, prior to COVID. That's the only other thing I would add. Right. Um, uh, talent development and uh, attracting talents back is uh, one of the um, you know, main strategies of the Hong Kong government. Now, as far as I know, the younger uh, talents, they prefer quality of life. They prefer to live in a place um, with lots of perhaps culture and sports and greens. Uh, do you think Hong Kong is the place or you know, can they actually work remotely? And as Mark said, readjust um, their work so that um, they can live anywhere, and, but they can still um, do business uh, in Hong Kong and with the Greater Bay Area. James Turner? 
So I think you've just kind of, <laughs> that, that's like often my sales pitch, uh, and I know our members' uh, sales pitch when they're talking to uh, candidates, because if you come into the city for a short time, you might spend some time in central, uh, mid-levels. But once you've been here, and you've been here over a weekend, and you've been to the south side of the and you've been to um, <coughs> the Northern Territories, you see what a, an incredible opportunity there is for uh, young people to, uh, and, and indeed for, for all, uh, all the people in Hong Kong, to spend time outside, to go hiking. Um, clearly, it's a great time of year to do that. But we see whether it's the Standard Chartered Marathon, whether there is a cycling on, um, on Lantau, that there's just a real breadth of opportunities for things to do outside of work. And I think we have to appeal to all aspects. So the really, you know, the great foresight of having the green open spaces in West Kowloon, I think, is another example of that. And so I think that it's really important to emphasise not just the uh, the attractiveness of the city, but also the the outdoor and the cultural opportunities that Hong Kong has to offer. Mm. Because attracting talent, and it, it really is about winning a war for talent. Um, and so it has to be much broader than uh, than just uh, career opportunities in a traditional sense. Mm. Inyaki Amate, yeah, yeah, would you like to uh, yeah. add to that? We do, uh, so we should focus uh, just as much on uh, uh, lifestyle and cultural issues. I think so, but also I think Hong Kong is a very easy sale. If you remove all the noise that COVID and the 2019 demonstrations brought into the international image of Hong Kong, if you remove all the, all the last three years, Hong Kong is still a unique place in the world. It's fascinating, the, co the convergence of the urban landscape with the nature, and also for um, people that are looking for professional opportunities at a time that where, where the world is actually in economic turmoil, Hong Kong still provides a very interesting prospect for growth. Um, and I think that's one, one of the main factors that I think is going to attract professionals in the future. And I think we, w I think there will be more from mainland China. You mentioned that on the program many times in discussion. I teach courses at Chinese university. Most of my students are mainlanders. An increasing number of them are looking for opportunities in Hong Kong. They may, you know, how long they're going to stay. One, several of them have stayed already for, for five or, or ten years. And I think that's going to be part of what we see in Hong Kong going forward as well, which, you know, may change the the uh, the character a little bit, but will also be important for Hong Kong and will add to our uh, opportunities going forward. We've talked uh, about the uh, the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit. Of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, FinTech Week is going on uh, at the moment, uh, a very large uh, attendance there. Any, any, uh, any good lessons that we've learned uh, so far from the, the FinTech gathering? Um, um, Mr. Mr. Amate, have you been following that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, pretty much like we've seen that uh, there is definitely a demand, there is definitely an interest in coming and doing business in Hong Kong, looking for funding in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong um, uh, fintech ecosystem has been actually evolving and developing in, in an amazing manner over the last few years. And I think today and yesterday we could see actually that the, the output of that is a, a very good, healthy number of startups that are starting to, to take to the global stage. 
um, yeah, I think we, we are looking at um, a part of the ecosystem, a part of the um, a sector that is that the government has been clearly indicating that is going to be critical for the city that is definitely uh, taking the stage. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the exciting areas for sure. Much of our, some of our new membership in the American Chamber and maybe in the other chambers as well are, are startups and, and people in areas like FinTech, which is a real strength, I think, for Hong Kong going forward. I think the, the challenge is to find other areas where Hong Kong can excel in addition to financial services, which clearly is, is our strong point. Mm. Uh, James Turner, we've just got about a, about a minute left before we go to the news. Uh, uh, are you encouraged with uh, developments on the fintech front? I, I am. And, I, and look, I think my panellists have said almost everything. So what I would really say is that you've got to remember that Hong Kong is a great place for, uh, for sourcing capital. Um, but what the fintech week is, is really bringing kind of like-minded people from around the world um, to to have an opportunity to have that dialogue, to work with uh, creators, disruptors, regulators, uh, to create new businesses. And, and as many of our colleagues, as, uh, panelists have said, um, that is another great, um, a great engine for growth for Hong Kong. Mm, great. Okay, all right. Well, th thanks very much uh, for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, James Turner, uh, Vice Chairman of the British Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Thanks very much to Inyake Amate, who's the uh, Chairman of the European Chamber of uh, Commerce in Hong Kong. Uh, Mark Michelson is going to stay with us uh, for a little while uh, after nine o'clock. We're going to take a, a break for the news in a moment. We'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, a look uh, at the weather uh, strong northerly winds uh, occasionally gale force on high ground uh, seas will be rough with swells uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers uh, today temperatures around 24 degrees uh, at first uh, the outlook uh, it's going to be uh, uh, showers tomorrow seas will be rough uh, with swells and cooler Currently it's 23 degrees, humidity is at 49%. The strong wind signal number three is in effect and the, so is the red fire danger warning. Tent to intimidate or interfere with the work of a federal official. David Dupape also faces a list of state charges, including attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning, for our main subject, we're talking about the Global Financial Leaders uh, Investment Summit, uh, which uh, actually kicks off uh, this evening. There's a dinner. The, uh, the uh, guests have a dinner at and a tour of the M Plus Museum in West Kowloon. And then tomorrow is the first, uh, first of a number of uh, panels with uh, various um, high-profile... Uh, panelists, uh, financial leaders from around the world uh, taking part in that. And of course, uh, other events going on this week as well. The, the, the FinTech Week is taking place here in Hong Kong. And then, of course, at the weekend, we've got the Rugby Sevens. So, so the, the summit is very much being um, promoted as evidence that Hong Kong is uh, reopening uh, to the rest of the world and uh, reconnecting. Uh, we have with us still on the line uh, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA. Asia 
And joining us also, I think, uh, on the line now, we have uh, Dr. Rita Lee, Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Uh, Dr. Lee, good morning. Morning. So how much of a boost to Hong Kong's uh, international image uh, is this financial summit? Because there are a lot of like senior management or the CEO who is like coming to Hong Kong, so it actually gives a very good place for them to uh, discuss. And then maybe there are some kind of new business, which uh, new business idea, which can be uh, realized uh, by having these sort of like summit. Uh, because a lot of circumstances, we always say that well, we can actually have got like Zoom or other online activities that it may be able to uh, get a very large crowd. But uh, a lot of us also have got the same conclusion is that well, it seems that face to face remains the better way in terms of the like, connecting to the outside world. And sometimes that we may just say that well, meeting one time may not be that uh, may not end up with a good business. But usually, we all consider this uh, kind of the opportunities as a kind of like start so that we will just have got an image to the others that well Hong Kong is back and then Hong Kong is reopening to the rest of the world and then we are and we will become the, uh, we, we will remain as a uh, major financial center in the world. Uh, and Dr. Lee, it seems that the, the whole uh, planning and curation of, of this week is, uh, is, is very clever. In particular, you know, the opening of the financial summit will be at M Plus, uh, at a cultural uh, institution and a museum. This has certainly really not happened before. What, what do you make of this? Well, actually, a lot of circumstances, when we go to the, uh, the other overseas uh, cities, where we, we may also go to the cultural center, like me, that I always go to the cultural center, the arts museum, and then to see their own culture. To a certain extent, as what the previous speaker has mentioned, actually, culture is also one of the uh, parts of the city that makes people will come to that city. And then, uh, uh, because that's what we say, is that we, we are we're human beings, so we are attracted by other than uh, uh, like money, but then we may be attracted by the culture of the city, and then we can actually know more about the city as well. And Hong Kong is actually a very special place with a mixture of the Western and also Eastern culture. So that is also part of the thing for which the Hong Kong is attractive as compared to many other financial centers. Um, we heard that um, you know many global financial leaders and bankers are coming to Hong Kong, um, but there's uh, another part um, that is uh, you know the head of the family offices, um, which uh, which are very important people as well. Do you have you heard that uh, some of these people are also coming? Well, for the family business, uh, I think there are there are a lot of like uh, when we uh, have a look a quick look at the. FinTech week about the speakers. It seems that there are many different uh, CEOs and senior ma management that they are coming to Hong Kong. So uh, I think uh, what we consider is that uh, uh, we do not uh, really cons uh, only focus on like uh, family office, but there are many different types of the financial hacks that they are coming. That is the most important thing. Because uh, these people that they may bring in a company, which is like they can bring in a company of a large number of employees to Hong Kong. And then uh, this sort of, uh, usually uh, these kind of the people that they do, not, they do not have only got one kind of business. Like for example, uh, if you read the website, it also said that Mr. Lee Chakai is also there. So obviously he does not only do one kind of business. So he has got, he has got a lot of like other businesses. Uh, so that, um, uh, and then he can also talk to those 
who have also have got a lot of like uh, a lot of different business as well. So because if we if we try to see like uh, for example that there are some of like United States that are uh, that they have got like different partners like Westcap and then uh, Standard Charter and also Sandbox and also like uh, uh, Bank of International Settlements, uh, uh, Cognitive System Lab, etc. So you can see that this is a, a well balance of like many different kind of like. Uh, fintech related uh, people and then financial related people that they will also come and then uh, uh, so that it will be like uh, we would have we may have got some kind of the new business that it may uh, uh, that it may emerge so that uh, this is the main beauty of the whole summit because uh, we can have got like some kind of new ideas and then uh, those hacks that they're coming um, Mark, in terms of the uh, the content of the summit, uh, uh, the main themes are going to be uh, the mainland uh, economic development uh, after the recent uh, 20th Party Congress, uh, global stagflation risks, um, tightening money conditions, long-term investment strategies. Um, um, are you, what are your expectations uh, of uh, uh, any sort of uh, new policies or consensus or new directions that uh, may emerge from this? have to have to talk about these issues and I've got the schedule right in front of me and I and the issues that that the the, 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 the overall theme of course is navigating through uncertainty and mm. you just outlined a lot of the areas of considerable uncertainty and challenges and these are the people that are coming are the are among the right people to talk about this but they have to work with governments uh, with other organizations to try to push this forward and one of the challenges of course now globally is that a lot of these traditional organizations are not as strong as they were, are not getting as much support from, from various governments, and you have to find new ways to try to tackle these problems together. There's one way of doing it, and I think it'll be valuable, but it's what really is important what happens afterward in, in uh, from this conference, not only for these kind of issues, but for Hong Kong and, and Hong Kong's attraction as well. This is one way of getting attention back and getting uh, some um, some influential people involved at the same time that has to be followed up because we've got a lot of competition who've taken advantage of the last especially the last year to try to draw some of these people to their place not just singapore but dubai and many other places including family offices which were just mentioned before Um, um, and Mark, well, what, what about um, you know the geopolitical tensions um, that might affect um, Hong, Hong Kong's positioning? Or do you think that after this week and after you know all these uh, global figures, um, the um, bankers are coming back, uh, Hong Kong could um, continue to be a, a connector, a go-between, uh, as we have always done very successfully? I think I, I think Hong Kong can and still has a unique role, but it's. It's gotten more difficult, as you pointed out. And these geopolitical tensions, especially between the U.S. and China, do not look like they're, uh, they're going to be easing very quickly. There's a, the U.S. election is a, is a week from now, the midterm elections, which already are raising, uh, uh, raising the, that issue as well as many others. Uh, they're clear the G20 is coming up later this month. These are really uh, indicators of, of whether we're going to move forward. And, uh, of course, the worry is that there are sanctions already in semiconductors and, and various other areas, also on individuals. What if it moves more toward financial uh, financial area, especially vis-a-vis China? How will that affect us in Hong Kong? We all hope not, but it's one of those those worries that will, you know, will certainly uh, have an impact on what we're talking about at the financial summit. Mm-hmm. 
Doctor Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Recently. Mm. Yeah. The um, uh, uh, geopolitical tensions. Do you think this will sort of overshadow, um, you know, the uh, discussions and the um, the sort of positive energy that we have felt um, recently? Well, uh, actually, I think uh, geopolitical political stuff that it always affects like all kinds of like economic activities, and then uh, this sort of like uh, financial activities is of no exception. So the war between the Ukraine and also Russia, that obviously that it will affect the global economy as well. Like for example, if we talk about the inflation rate, which is like very high, like Germany is like what we foresee maybe like seven point something percent, United Kingdom six uh, around six percent. Uh, in the coming year, in 2023, so uh, I think uh, that's all the political stuff. Like it is just like uh, we we always say that it is like politics and economics. They are they are uh, we we cannot say that it is separable, and then these two are actually interconnected to one another. So of course, they're all kind of like geopolitical stuff that will affect Hong Kong as well. Um, I mean, uh, for 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 the financial sector as well, because actually, if we talk about just talk about the like, inflation, obviously there will be a kind of a uh, thing that it will uh, continue to happen, and then uh, these are things that it will also uh, affect our world economy. That is like for example, it's lower than anticipated. So, say for instance, uh, if you try to look at the OECD, uh, uh, the OECD research is very clear that. Uh, like Saudi Arabia, for example, that has it has got a great job in the uh, GDP, real GDP growth uh, from like 99% of like 2022 anticipated to uh, in 2023 only like 6%, and so as uh, in other uh, in other countries. So uh, I think, uh, of course, for the geopolitical risk, it must be uh, it must always have got some kind of impact. But it's only that uh, in Hong Kong, what we see is uh, Hong Kong is still uh, attractive in the sense that Hong Kong is efficient. Many people say that why why they come from like UK or the France that come, uh, come to Hong Kong to work. Uh, for my friends, uh, what they say is that because like Hong Kong is very efficient. So if you want to do some uh, paperwork, etc., that it takes a very long time to work on. But for Hong Kong, you, you can see that it works a lot much more faster. Low and simplified test way, like uh, if we buy a house in Japan if, uh, as a bonus, we may need to do a lot of like, uh, search. And then sometimes we may need to hire a, a tax uh, expert to like uh, deal with all the tax issues. And so it's like in Australia, by the time I, I, I uh, went... When some of my friends told me that uh, in Australia, so probably that you have to find a tax uh, expert in order to like uh, to clear all the tax issue when you want to like save some money, you have to do so. But these are the things that Hong Kong we we do we do not need to. Right. And Hong Kong people are rather like flexible, right. creative. So uh, this sort of things that it can help us to overcome the so-called like geopolitical uh, risk as well. Right. Now, I note that um, the uh, people, the bankers and the finance executives attending the events this week uh, will not be subject to pandemic restrictions, i.e. Yep. they will be allowed to eat and um, mingle freely at designated restaurants. Um, uh, what, what is the sort of signal that has been, uh, you know, that, that has been sent out uh, with this sort of uh, news? know that Hong Kong uh, tweet uh, the financial uh, development is uh, very seriously and Hong Kong still wants to have got a very uh, very good development in the financial center so it is at a very high level in terms of like uh, they, they want to like attract uh, more like financial business that uh, they will come back. Mm. Yeah. I hope more relaxations will come for ordinary people like us. <laughs> Mark? <laughs> yeah, well, 
I, th- I think that's true, but at the same time, I, I think there are worries. I mean, we talked about the economic growth. I, I'm just looking at a forecast. Hong Kong U expects mild growth in Hong Kong's GDP in Q3 of 1.5%. This was in July. We just reported those those numbers. It's considerably negative, as you mm-hmm. as you probably know, and and that's that's something we we also have to have a path forward for our economy, and that that might be uh, that might be part of the discussion as well. In addition to the other other areas that we've talked about, I think we can do that, but at the same time, it it makes it a little bit more challenging, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you uh, both uh, very much for uh, speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, That was uh, Mark Michelson, uh, Chairman of the uh, Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Thank you, Mark Michelson, and thanks very much to Dr Rita Lee, Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Uh, just a, a couple of uh, emails uh, from listeners here on this topic. Uh, Andrew says, uh, for the sake of transparency, do we know uh, how... Uh, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and Hong Kong Administration is paying the travel and hospitality costs for all overseas financial forum attendees at this event, and if so, uh, what this might be costing in total. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, Andrew. I'm sure they would say that uh, it's money well spent, though. And um, this one, uh, which is not really signed, says uh, uh, under the subject line, uh, Fin Events, Uh, I think 99.9% of all attendees have visited uh, Hong Kong before. There's a strong smell of public relations. Uh, Wonder how much media are seriously going to follow up to see if real results are gained. Well, uh, obviously we'll be following events and if there are real results from the conference, uh, we'll report it. Uh, Thank you very much. For the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the programme, we're going to turn our attention to another topic, and that is uh, crowd control, and that's after the uh, tragic events that took place uh, in the South Korean capital Seoul in the Itaewon district on Saturday when uh, a crush in uh, narrow streets uh, led to uh, more than 150 fatalities. Um, It's raised uh, uh, memories of uh, of other events that have happened Uh, in the past and also obviously investigations, inquiries will be going on um, in Seoul to try and uh, find ways to prevent something similar from happening again. Uh, We're joined uh, on the line now by Steve Vickers, uh, CEO of Steve Vickers & Associates, uh, a specialist political and corporate risk consultancy. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. So, uh, so yeah, uh, as I say, uh, uh, tragic, uh, terrible events on, on, on Saturday night. Um, are there any particular factors that, uh, that you could see uh, connected with that that, uh, that led to you know, such a, a tragedy on such a large scale? Yeah, it is a tragedy. Obviously, at this early stage, there's the danger of being a Monday morning quarterback mm. uh, in that we, we only have the information from the media, some of which has been rebroadcast many times and, and it, it becomes um, it becomes fact in people's minds. But as far as I can see, very tragically, uh, two-thirds of the deceased were, were young women. Two-thirds, amazing. Mm. Uh, it would appear that about 100,000 people plus uh, moved into a very tight area of Itaewon. Itaewon itself has quite big roads, but yeah. the side roads are particularly around the Hamilton Hotel area, are very, very tight. 
uh, and frankly, it had. Um, there are comparisons to be drawn to what happened in our Lan Kwai Fong uh, stampede back in in 1993, mm -hmm. where 21 people were, were crushed to death uh, in Lan Kwai Fong. Uh, I, I mean, reports that I've seen, and I, I quite like to turn off the commentary and just watch what I can see myself rather than listen to the the voiceovers. But it looked, I mean, people were going down like dominoes. Um, and then once that happened, the panic factor uh, increased and people were literally uh, literally crushed to death and suffocated. Uh, really, really, um, really awful uh, to see. Uh, clearly far, far too many people there. I'm sure, you know, everybody's looking for a, a scapegoat. Uh, clearly everything didn't go well. Um, but these things rarely have a single point of failure. There's rare, there's, there's, there are typically multiple things that go wrong at once. Clearly, the area, 100,000 people plus, uh, just just totally, totally out of um, out of control. Communications, no. Uh, it had been a very long time since they've had a. In, in Seoul, because of the COVID lockdowns, that uh, people have been really held very tight, and I think this is an opportunity for young people to get out and enjoy themselves. Mm. And you know, we forget the lessons of of previous history. Mm. You know, things that have happened before. Mm. Uh, so it, it would, you know, it would appear a whole series of things uh, went, went really quite, quite, quite badly wrong. Mm. Right. So the, the the word crowd crushing has been used by some of the commentators. Uh, yes, I have also been watching the news. So um, you know, how does crowd crushing start? Um, does it start but, but with uh, a few? Uh, Really, um, you know, loud people sort of uh, pushing, pushing along, and uh, remember that Itaewon is actually quite steep, with steep alleys and steep, uh, steep roads. Yeah, I, I'll, I'm curious to know, um, you know, more about crowd crushing. I, I don't like that word. Oh. I think it's a media invention. But, but uh, what? what uh, I mean, you can compare a little bit with Lang Kwai Fong again. We had uh, uh, exactly everybody poured out the bars uh, on just before midnight. Uh, um, and they burst out to celebrate the, the, the new year. Uh, again, in the streets, concern were sloped. And because people have been throwing around foam and stuff, people began to slip, and, and, and that was, that's how that began. The, the issue here around the side, I'm quite familiar with that area. I've done some work around there, uh, around the Hamilton Hotel area. That, that area is very, 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 very narrow. The crowd was moving relentlessly in that direction. As soon as the first few people went down, uh, the crush, the, 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 the crush, squash, call it what you will, began. The, the problem is not at the point of, 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 of where the, the tragedy occurred. The, 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 the issue really was the planning. I mean, how many people are likely to arrive? What will be the, um, what will be the, the, the flow? How will the flow be, will be managed? Uh, what to do in the event of, um, you know, what, what capacity one has? to slow it down or, or to prevent it getting worse. Mm. Uh, the other bit that was really tragic was people were still partying uh, an hour after this, an hour after this had occurred, which is, um, um, uh, you know, I mean, really, really quite worrying. So I think the problem really lies in, in evaluating how many people are going to come, what are the routes are they going to come, what routes are they going to take, what options do we have to... Um, uh, to mitigate that risk in, 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 in different ways. Uh, following the Hong Kong Lan Kwai Fong stampede in 93, there was a uh, uh, Judge Bukhari did a, um, a 
did a report, an independent report, and he came out with uh, eight or ten recommendations, which are, are very relevant to Lang Kwai-Fong, maybe not quite so relevant to, to, to everywhere else, but it all starts with planning, uh, and then publicity about the dangers, pedestrianising areas where large numbers of people come in, uh, observation points around so we can see uh, earlier what's going on, strong police presence, including some senior police, uh, foot patrols, uh, crowd considerations. And there's a lot of there's a lot of crowd psychology, and, and we're being aware of sudden crowd density changes. But these choke points, which is essentially what they are, these these choke points were huge numbers of people pass through a, a very tight. And then, of course, people at the back wouldn't necessarily know that uh, people at the front are in trouble. Um, Indeed, so, mm. absolutely. But in Hong Kong, we have some special tools which we haven't used yet. I mean, you will probably all remember uh, when the government tested the emergency mobile phone alert system. They went, well, yes. and everybody in Hong Kong got... Uh, that's the sort of thing where, where mm. we actually, in, in such circumstances, you can say, please leave the area immediately. Uh, I mean, that sort of thing would be very useful. Typically, planning, the police have very good uh, operational orders uh, but uh, as to what to do on, on major set-piece events. These things need constantly updating. And again, because of COVID and it's been three years since we've done a lot of things, there are lessons for us to learn from what happened in, uh, what happened in Seoul. Uh, and it's time to dust off our plan. We've got big events coming this weekend. We have other events. We'll be fine. But, uh, you know, the, the planning is something that doesn't stand still. Um, dusting it off once a year is not enough. Mm. We've not exercised as well as we might have done because of the COVID um, outbreak in the last, um, you know, over the last three years. Mm. So there are lessons that we can learn here in Hong Kong from, from, from this awful tragedy. Because the, the, the crowd control operations here are really quite precise, aren't they? I mean, for, for, for Christmas, for New Year, for, for Halloween. I mean, in Lang Kwai Fong, for instance, there's like a, a, a one-way pedestrian movement. You can only enter yeah. from one end and only go in one direction and come out somewhere else. So, so, no, it's yeah. very well, well-drilled and well-organised. Um, the, the thing is, things change. You know, roads change, directions change, buildings get knocked down. The one needs to be... One needs to dust off and have a good look at, at um, operational orders well before. And it's not just the police. I mean, it's the police. It's the people participating. It's the uh, you know auxiliary services. It's the the bar owners and the um, uh, everybody. You know, they need to all contribute to a certain extent. This thing in 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 Korea was really was a real tragedy. Um, as I say, pointing fingers before an inquiry is the wrong thing. But clearly. 100,000 people in that area, I'm quite familiar with it, was, is, is, is amazing. Yeah. Right, and again, this is from the media. I heard this morning that uh, the uh, Korean police confirmed that there were like 130 policemen deployed to the Itaewon area that evening. Um, I'm not sure about that number. It, it might be a lot. It might be not enough. Uh, what, what's your take on this? Uh, again, it's not the number of police officers deployed, it's how they're deployed, it's what the plan is. Their, your ability to communicate with them from a command and control point of view and your ability as a commander to, uh, to assist in, in diverting, or, uh, diverting crowd flows away from problematic areas. So it, it's not a question of the, the number of... I'm sure that... I, I, 
I mean, I've read some numbers as well. I had a quick look myself overnight. There's a bit of a confusion between, I'm, so I'm told there were 525 fighters, 1,100 police officers and seven. I think that was all in reaction to the incident. I'm not sure that they um, had planned this. And again, pointing fingers at this stage is, is always wrong. But, but evidently, um, the, whole, the whole issue really is planning events. Lots of advance notice, okay. lots of publicity, pedestrianise areas where you can, uh, keep an eye on it from various uh, vantage points. A strong police presence is good, but it needs senior officers and people in power to make decisions on the spot. Um, mixing with the crowd and the like. Uh, again, in the era of mobile phones, it was quite shocking to see some people tripping over and others filming it. You know, so it, 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 it's a peculiar situation. We won't know the whole thing until the inquiry sure. comes out. Sure. But there are, I say, lessons to be learned uh, immediately almost as to um, as what we can do here. Just to, just to make sure Hong Kong's a great city. We've got good planning, uh, but it doesn't mean we can't make mistakes. And, and I think, as I, I say, we haven't tested ourselves for a while. So it's probably good, uh, a big reminder for us. Okay. All right, well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Steve Vickers, uh, CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates, uh, a specialist political and corporate risk consultancy. And a look uh, at the weather before we go to the uh, news summary and uh, morning brew. By the way, uh, uh, thanks very much. Uh, sorry, the news summary and uh, brunch, the brunch with Noreen. Um, thanks to our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. Um, so, uh, the weather, uh, it's quite a factor today because the strong wind signal number three is still in effect. Um, there's going to be strong northerly winds, uh, occasionally gale force on high ground, and uh, mainly cloudy today with a few showers, top temperature around uh, 24 degrees, it looks like. Uh, the outlook, occasionally uh, gale force uh, offshore and on high ground with uh, squally showers tomorrow. Seas will be rough with swells. Uh, it'll be cooler from tomorrow. Still windy on Thursday. And currently it's 23 degrees. Humidity is at 53%. The strong wind signal number three, as I said, remains in effect. Stability is the cornerstone of development. For the past 25 years, Hong Kong has been resilient.